0: Anyway, I got questions for our guy, our senior insider, Ken Rosenthal, following up the closer, Brad Lynch. Let's bring him in. Kenny, uh, what a freaking Ooh. series, Ken. Wow. Raise Orioles, how fun was that game last night? And I said this at the beginning of our show because there were some fans on social complaining like, why well, isn't it sold out? Whatever. The rest of the days are sold out. It sounded like it was still a great vibe there. So get, set the scene for us. What happened?
1: Well, Scott, on the crowd... Actually, I was disappointed. It was about 25000 And yes, they are sold out tonight and tomorrow. But I was in Baltimore in the 90s when they sold out every night. Now, I know times have changed and it's a school night or whatever. But my goodness, that's a team that should be packing them in, honestly. And that game last night was as good as it gets. And John Smoltz said it very well on the air. He said, I wish we could be doing the next three games as well. Because each game... It just seems like it's going to be close, well-played. Last night was extremely well-played. The Tampa Bay bullpen was absolutely brilliant. You had a couple of big home runs from the Orioles, two-run triple from and There was a lot of good things going on and just a fun game to watch in general.
2: All right, momentum matters. You wrote momentum matters, okay? But did momentum matter for the Rangers six days ago <laughs> when they got boat raced by the Astros and now they've won six?
1: Well, Eric, thank you for reading, and I'm glad you pointed <laughs> that out. The way I phrased it was momentum matters this time of year with a bullpen, the way Tampa Bay's bullpen is rolling, 34 straight innings without allowing an unearned run. But let's face it, that might have been not the best line I've ever had because <laughs> we all know momentum is the next day's starting pitcher in baseball. And, yeah, Texas, what they've done after going, I think it was 4-16, and 16, then they win two against the A's, and it's like, okay, great. Big deal. You beat the A's. And then they come into Toronto to play four. And they trounced Toronto. I think the combined score was 35-9. to nine. And it's a strong statement by the Rangers in so many ways. They lost Scherzer for the season in the middle of the series. Jordan Montgomery came out that night and pitched great. And offensively, they found their mojo again. Seeger, if he had played more games, I think we would really be discussing him as an MVP candidate. I don't know that he can beat Shohei out when he's at around 102 games right now. But still, he has been a dominant force offensively. And in the Tampa Bay Clubhouse last night, after the game, some of the players were talking about Seager, saying maybe he should be MVP. So that's where his status is within the sport right now, among his peers. But it's going to be really interesting to see now if Toronto can pull a Texas and snap out of it. That was an embarrassment. That sweep happened at home. The biggest series of the season, And I just cannot figure out the Blue Jays, like many other people in the sport. It's hard to understand what's going on here. They've got a tremendous pitching staff. They have seemingly an amazing lineup, and yet they have not hit. You go right down the line, Bode Bouchette is about the only one of their bigger players who you could say is having the kind of year you would expect. And it's going to raise all kinds of questions for this team going forward if they fail to make the playoffs with this group, because... That showing or no showing in Toronto was a five-alarm fire in my head. It was just unacceptable and shocking almost to see the Blue Jays just kind of fall apart like that.
3: Crazy. I I agree totally. First off, I just want to know where you got your haircut from, man. You're looking really fresh right now, brother. What do you tell the barber? (laughs) What's the first thing you tell him?
1: I don't say much, to Todd. <laughs> no, they're, they're There's they're, not that much to with, man. But you know what? It was a new person who did my hair, so maybe I'll go back to that person.
3: Yeah, but but what do you say to him? Like, hey, man, can I just get a little nip on top? All right, here's here, little... what I say. I no. I hold
1: this is the whole <laughs> instruction:
3: short on the sides, longer up top. That's all I say. I tell you what. I give credit to that barber. It's give, working. Give, it's not bad. I baby. like it. Not bad. Hey, I want to get into it a little bit, the uh, in-game interviews, man. People are getting critical about these. Um, you know, Talk to us about that. I, I love all that kind of stuff. That's where you get the juice, you know? So, like, what's going on there?
1: We started it last year on Fox in the playoffs, and I was covering the Phillies for their, almost an entire run. We didn't have the wild card series, but the division series, NLCS World Series, we had the Phillies. And they were extremely cooperative about it they were eager to do it and we had some really great moments doing those in-game interviews now what fans need to understand and i explained this last year but i'll be happy to explain it again i'm not just popping in the dugout and bothering players that's not how it works we talk about this with the teams with the players beforehand certain players agree to do it certain players do not want to do it and that is absolutely their right and then if the moment arises, and it has to be a special moment, then maybe I'll pop in and ask a question It's sometimes two, at no more than two. So last night, what happened was Cedric Mullins made a great catch in the first inning, I believe, and we interviewed him right after that. Then we had home runs on the Orioles side from Ryan O'Hearn and Gunnar Henderson. We interviewed each of them, one question each after that. And I saw some comments from Tampa Bay fans, what about us? Why is Fox so biased? It has nothing to do with bias. All it has to do with is the flow of the game and actually also two outs makes an impact. We're not going to interview a guy with two outs. And later during the game, we interviewed Aaron Savali after he came out and was done after his five innings about his performance. So it's a fun thing to do. And I would admit, I said this last year as well. I had reservations when we first started talking about doing this because I like to think I know my place, and my place is not in the dugout. But this is a different kind of deal. I'm really only there for maybe a minute. We wait a little bit before they come to me, and it's one question, and I'm out. So it can give you some insight as a viewer into what the player is thinking in the moment. That's the whole idea. And it's been a really effective thing. But for all those people who are going to come at me during the playoffs and saying, stop bothering the players. We are not bothering the players. They have agreed to do it.
2: From a player's (laughs) point of view, Ken, there's nobody that the players would want in the dugout more than you. You do an incredible job with it, and whatever they say on Twitter, I know for a fact I would have loved to have you interview me, and I know from the players I talked to last year in the playoffs – They loved it. So you keep doing a good job, but the haters will hate. So don't worry about it. You have a million followers. You just have more haters than everybody else.
1: That's okay. It's all good. Eric, people are entitled to their opinions. But with this thing, I think people don't understand always how it comes about. And that's just the reason I wanted to explain it.
2: Yeah, no doubt. You do a great job. Keep it up. Somebody else that I think has done a great job and can't keep it up now, Heim Bloom, getting fired in Boston. I told you my opinion. I want to hear some more facts behind it because I was part of the player development. I saw how he built the player development headed by Abe's in, in the minor leagues there. And the people that they hired and the people that they fired during that time I was there, the people they hired were people that were great people. And he built that organization. He built that minor league system, I think to 10th when they were 30th, when he took over. So what, what, is there more behind him getting fired that we don't know about?
1: Eric, it all comes back to ownership, in my opinion. And we have to view Heim Bloom from the prism of when he was hired and what the expectations were. And they said they wanted him to build a consistent winner. And they wanted to do it cheaper. That was the implicit message when you hire someone from Tampa Bay. They wanted a more efficient payroll. They got that. They didn't get the consistent winner, at least not yet. And certainly, the past two trade deadlines have not been Heimbloom's best. There have been some other decisions that have been questionable. Well, welcome to being a general manager. That happens. No general manager is perfect. No team is perfect. It's just the way the game is. Could he have made some better decisions? Absolutely. And he would probably be the first to tell you that. But again, I come back to ownership. And ownership was the force behind the Mookie Betts trade, which, of course, created the negative perception of Heimbloom in the first place. He had to trade Bookie Bets. The entire industry knew it. He didn't get enough from Mookie Bets because you cannot get enough from Mookie Bets. Not gonna happen. And as Andy McCullough wrote in The Athletic, he was kind of doomed from that moment in certain respects. But to your point, Eric, they have done what was asked of him, which was to build a better infrastructure, which was develop the farm system in a much better way. They now have some young players coming. We've seen some of them in the last couple of weeks. They have a core developing that's going to be kind of intriguing for years to come. And he said it in his statement. There are great things ahead for the Red Sox. And I believe that. They're going to have to do some things in free agency and spend some money in ways that ownership hasn't done of late, especially on pitching. So... Sure, Hein Bloom is the sacrificial lamb here, and you can make a case always to let someone go. I understand that. But his mission, as dictated by ownership, was in many respects fulfilled. And yet, this is the decision they come to. And one more point. This is a general or this is an ownership that now has gone through three or four general managers in the last twelve plus years or so. Every guy seems to get about four years and then he's out. Ben Sherrington won a World Series out. Dave Dombrowski won a World Series out. Heim Bloom did not win a World Series. They could finish last for the third time in four years under his reign. Sure. They did go to the NL, I'm sorry, the ALCS in 21, and they've had some good things happen. But it all starts at the top, guys. It's so true for every team. And you see stability in certain organizations that you don't see in others. The Red Sox pride themselves on this great franchise. They're an unstable franchise because they keep changing the people at the top.
2: Is there a team that wishes that they could have Bloom?
1: I don't know. They'll jump right back in as a president of baseball operations. And I don't know that a team would necessarily hire him. These guys do get a little scarred in the public eye when something like this happens. But... I can see him being a force in a front office somewhere for sure. And, again, there were shortcomings, Eric. I can't ignore that. But he did, again, a lot of what they wanted him to do, and yet it still wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough, understandably, because they haven't won. And that's the bottom line in this sport. Fans were kind of turning on the team. But you know what? Fans have turned on Brian Cashman in New York. Yankees aren't firing Brian Cashman. Why? Mm -hmm. Because of what he's done in the past, because they believe in what he can do in the future. Now, fans might disagree with that. Well, you don't run your fan, or I'm sorry, you don't run your franchise according to what you might be hearing on WFAN in New York. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Prove <Sorry>. it. <laughs> Prove <laughs> it. This is what this guy thinks. This is, how, this is how he sees how moves should be made. Johnny from Brooklyn, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing it, Ken. Kenny,
3: <laughs> I want to go back to Baltimore and then raise real quick. Who went, who's going to win that division right now if you had to choose? One game back, they, they got a bat. Baltimore's got a battle ahead of them. That bullpen for the Rays is really good.
1: It's effectively two games back because the Rays right now do not have the tiebreaker. The Orioles need only one win in this series to have the tiebreaker, so we have to keep that in mind. I don't know, Todd. I don't know. And watching the Rays' bullpen last night, I know it was one night, a snapshot in time. I was a little overwhelmed. It was 12 up, 12 down with seven strikeouts and one after another. Poche, uh, Armstrong, Fairbanks, the whole group. It was impressive. Stevenson, of course. So you can't do that every night, but they've done it every night for about 11 days now, haven't allowed and earned run. And that alone gives them an edge, even over a Baltimore bullpen that remains quite strong without Felix Bautista. I'm worried about the Orioles starting pitching. Flaherty goes tonight, and he has to do better than he has done for them. At the same time, the Orioles have this way about them. And I asked Gunnar Henderson last night about this when we did our in-game interview. They have a resilience. And he said, that's been our MO all year. That's who we are. We come back. We get unfazed by anything. And for a young team, that's extraordinary. That said... The Rays are experienced at this. They've done this. And they've got a Arena starting to pick it up again and look out if he gets hot. So the Rays, for all their troubles, the losses of McClanahan and Springs and Rasmussen and, of course, Wander Franco, they're right there. They're right there because they're always there. And I would not be surprised to see them take this thing.
0: You know what's been crazy to me, Ken, as I'm watching these two teams go at it? Because they are very different ball clubs in my mind. Jose Siri goes down, very valuable part of this team. And I, I forgot, I'm like, oh yeah, Manny Margot. And they bring him back and it's like perfect timing. They're, oh, there's lefties yeah. in the bullpen. Like, let's bring up Margot a little bit early and and throw him in this series at some point. So But well, even without that, Franco, yeah. Taylor
1: Walls is a very good defender. The best defensive shortstop in the organization. For a while, there are a couple of days. They have Basabe playing shortstop. He's another kid. They just churn out these young middle infielders. It's amazing. And not all of them are stars like a Wander Franco is, but they do, Scott, have very enviable depth all around. And it's one of the hallmarks of their organization. And really, because of the losses that I just mentioned, the starting pitching and Franco, this arguably is one of their best seasons in just getting the performance they have out of the players that they've used. It's pretty
0: incredible, actually. And on the Baltimore side, they're healthy. Like, aside from Felix Bautista, I know that's a a huge loss for them. Like, they haven't had massive injury. Like, the Rays, I'm looking at the rosters and I'm like, whoa, the IL has serious names on Tampa Bay's side. The question I want to ask you about, though, is what I read in your notes about Jack Flaherty, because I feel like this is the time to bring it up. You reported that Jack Flaherty could have been shipped to Tampa Bay And I'll let you fill in the rest on what happened.
1: What happened was that the Rays had an agreement with the Cardinals for a trade to get Jack Flaherty to Tampa Bay. And this was after the Aaron Savali trade. So they were going to add Flaherty in addition to Savali. And it fell apart because something happened in the medical stages. A player was identified and flagged. And the Cardinals ultimately decided, we don't want to do this. We want to turn to Baltimore instead. Baltimore gave them a pitcher who shut down Baltimore just two nights ago through Rahm. And so far, so good for the Cardinals in that regard. But who knows what might have happened if Jack Flaherty had gone to Tampa Bay, which has had such success with pitching. Robert Stevenson is simply the latest example. wrote about him today. Baltimore doesn't have that same track record, though they've certainly done well with the current group that they've acquired and put together. But Flaherty has been a disappointment so far, a big disappointment. Seven ERA and I think, six starts. So he can still rewrite his story for the rest of the year, but it's quite interesting that these are the two teams, the best two teams in the American League, and they were vying for the same player, and the team that got the player isn't necessarily happy about it the way he has performed so far.
0: No, you're right. It's hurting the team more than helping right now. I mean, six ERA is not going to fly for a playoff team, obviously. I mean, he's not... a playoff rotation lock like you like you wrote about okay so one more on playoff rotations what do you think the dodgers playoff rotation looks like man they were flying high in august you're like are the dodgers about to be a serious threat to the braves in the postseason and now in addition to the guys they've lost which you can cover the the kershaw news too is is, i'm super curious to see where he's at physically and they haven't told us a lot about him and he hasn't either well
1: we have to go by what we see, right? His velocity has been down his last two starts significantly. They pushed him back this time. He's had this shoulder issue. None of this is good. And I don't know what it means for the postseason. Maybe in their minds, they're getting him ready for the postseason, resting him up, or maybe there's a more serious problem here and they're simply trying to get him through as best they can. They've got Kershaw, they've got Lance Lynn, they've got Bobby Miller. They've got Ryan Pepio, Ryan Yarbrough to be a bulk guy if they use openers. They can do a number of different things. They might not have the experience with this group that other teams will have in the postseason. They have stuff. One of their people described to me the other day as, we'll be in the 80th percentile for stuff and the 1 percentile, first percentile for experience. That's <laughs> maybe a little hyperper- hyper hyperbole, but at the same time, It's not the same kind of Dodgers rotation that we might have seen, for instance, with Kershaw healthy and Urias and Bueller and all these guys, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, right down the line. It's a different group, and they're going to be challenged. But their bullpen's been really good. They will find ways to use and deploy their pitchers better than most teams do. And as I wrote the other day, I don't expect this to happen, but wouldn't it be something if this was the year With all these obstacles in front of them, the Dodgers finally got a World Series title over a full season in the Andrew Friedman era. I don't expect it to happen. The Braves are simply too good. But who knows? Baseball's a crazy sport, and crazy things do happen in October.
0: Yeah, teams get hot. Offense is, I mean, we talk about pitching and defense, but offense is a huge deal in the playoffs. Like, they've got it. That offense is good. They can swing the bats. But you're right. They're not a super team this year, so it's like it would prove the point that, the the playoffs are the playoffs it's not always the best team playoffs playoffs exactly ken uh great to see you enjoy your weekend we'll talk to you next week and oh wait before you go i want to throw this up there for everyone to see the fair territory promo that people can obviously catch the show every monday um on youtube and wherever you get your pods but also there were a lot of questions in the youtube chat just now and i would like them all to direct their questions over to the Twitter feed that you love to watch uh, of your own Twitter feed, because you'll throw out a question for Grill and Ken at the end of the show. So just want to call that out for everyone. And you handpick them, right? Every week? We you do, go yes. Through? Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we get rid of the, the weird ones. We'll, we'll display some good ones, but there were about 10 just now. We're not getting to them now. Ask Ken. He'll answer them himself so Todd doesn't interrupt him talking about haircuts. <laughs> Ken, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>